for more than two or three months. He was too aware of the danger that sloth and slovenliness, both at her housework or in bed, could easily infect a little puta, who felt herself too secure in either part of her employment. So, after two or three months, she was invariably shown the door and left to shift for herself thereafter. The same thing ought to happen with this Dorotea. But lying in bed, waiting for dawn to finally break, Gomesh thought seriously that he might allow this wench to stay well beyond the usual time, even as long as four, five, even six months. So much had she pleased him in the night, as she had wept for him to desist, not to do that. Oh, please, senor, don't do that! The one flaw in his arrangements was that his master, old Felix Hannaway, was starting to show signs of curiosity lately at the steady stream of young provincial girls that passed through his house. Last time Gomes had reported with regret that the latest was failing in her duties and would have to be replaced, the old bougre had said, My goodness, we have no luck at all with our servants, do we? Gomes, after experiencing a moment of unease, had pointed out that indeed their other servants, Inesh, who supervised in the kitchen, Sebastiana, the housekeeper, Alvaro, who used to drive old Felix's coach and four in more prosperous days when the household had boasted such a luxury, had all proved most satisfactory for several years. It's just this girl, sir, Gomesh explained. They come off their father's little farms where they've been worked like mules all their lives, and they get to Lisbon and think they will take it easy from then on. At our expense, he complained righteously. Well, that will never do, old Felix had nodded. Carry on as you see fit, Bartolomeu. Do you think you can find a replacement soon? Mrs. Hannaway will be staying here a couple of nights next week, and I should like to see that we have a full complement of staff by then. I'll do my best, sir, Gomesh promised. As he had told the old fool, it was only the serving girls that always had to be replaced. Gomesh had no intentions of dismissing any of the upper servants. Each, in his or her way, was of use to him. Inesh, a fine big woman of thirty, knew it as part of her duties to come to his bed when they were between serving girls, or whenever he had a taste for riper flesh and more experienced lovecraft than the average girl in her teens could offer. Sebastiana, though too old and fat herself to excite any man's appetite, had excellent connections among the stews and brothels of the Remolares district next to the water, and was the conduit by which these country girls were diverted from beginning a whore's life for a couple of months at least, and sent to the Hanaway house to become servants. As for Alvaro, by rights, having lost his occupation as coach driver when the coach had to be sold, he should have been dismissed, and the few trivial tasks that remained to him turned over to a boy who would do them for a fraction of what he earned. But he had come to an agreement with Gomesh, whereby, in return for being allowed to stay on in old Felix's employ and household, and to spend his days in near-complete idleness at the tavern next door, he turned over a quarter of his wages to the head clerk. Gomesh turned on his side as the first rays of light came in through the window that he always left unshuttered. He wanted to see dear Sao Bartolomeu, his own, his namesaint, first thing, and give him thanks for his easy life, and for the new girl, and everything else. But this morning, 
the saint, in the shape of the woodcut in its golden frame that he had purchased for half a moeda off a stool under the arches of the Rossio, regarded him not. Only the back of the frame, which, too late, Gomes had discovered to be made of tin, lightly covered with gold paint, was on view from its perch on top of the chest of drawers. For a moment he panicked, thinking that somehow the Beato Bartolomeo had become angry with him and had in the night turned himself around so that he would no longer have to look at Gomesh. Perhaps he had witnessed once too often his child's favourite way with the serving girls, his preference, as it were, for the less-travelled path. Gomesh wanted to assure the Beato Bartolomeo it was only with the bitches that he diverted himself in this way. He was not a damn maricao, a queer, a dirty sodomita, even though it was a man, the Captain Merriweather, who had introduced him to the practice years ago, forcing his long English cock nightly into Gomesh's youthful hindquarters. Well, in time he had paid the captain in full for that service. What he had done to him certainly ought to have been enough to have convinced the saint that he was serious in his hatred for the foul congress of men with men. But perhaps it hadn't been sufficient punishment after all as Gomesh had begun to fear. Really, he was growing frantic. He was on his knees. He even thought of promising the Blessed One that he would take no more serving girls to his bed, or at least if he did, he wouldn't use them in the way the saint obviously disapproved of. Fortunately, the words did not pass his lips, for Gomesh knew that it was a habit he'd have had much more difficulty giving up than, say, the drinking of wine or the smoking of charutos, and abandoning it would have placed a great strain on his affection for Sao Bartolomeu. He was saved from this rash step by a sudden memory, which must have been temporarily expunged by the pleasures of the night, that it wasn't the saint who had turned his countenance away from Gomesh, but Gomesh who, as a punishment, had turned the saint around himself, so that he would no longer have the luxury of gazing upon a pleasant room, decent furniture, and a window that looked out onto a tree-shaded courtyard, but was forced every hour of the day to stare at a blank wall. Gomesh got to his feet. He felt such relief at remembering this, and gratitude too that he had not pledged himself to give up a practice he loved, that he was almost moved to relent towards the Beato Bartolomeu and turn him to face the room again. But then the memory of why he had punished him in the first place returned and hardened his heart. The saint had a long way to go before he earned his remission for the offence he had committed, the bringing of the young Englishman, another fucking snooping Hannaway, into Gomesh's life was very serious. Today was Wednesday, the day appointed by Felix Hannaway for the young man to appear at the house and be permitted to see his uncle. Gomesh still had no idea what the result of that interview would be. It was true that Felix still bore a great deal of ill-will towards his late brother, and, because of him, towards all his family. And why should he not? Gomesh thought piously, for had not the older brother, through his folly and misrepresentation, made substantial inroads into the younger brother's fortune too? Gomesh felt personally involved in this disaster, for Felix's being so much less wealthy today than he was eighteen months ago meant there was that much less available for Gomesh to steal. Knowing old Felix's current aversion to the London-based Hannaways and all their members living or dead, 
Gomes confidently expected him to show anger when, last Saturday, he had brought his master the news that a runner waited below with a message from his nephew, this Adam Hannaway, who had apparently fetched up in Lisbon after all. One might have hoped that, since previous letters to Felix from the same source had been ignored, the little filho da puta would have got the idea that he would not be welcome here. Old Felix had certainly frowned and blown out his cheeks and had shaken his head. Shall I tell the man to go away, sir? And for just a moment Gomes was certain that this was what he would hear, and so he would go back down and dismiss the runner with the words, No message, and the whole threat would be blown away in a moment. But Felix said, No, I can't do that to Adam, and Gomes's heart sank. His master had turned and strode across to his own room. He was in there for forty minutes by the office clock. At one point, curious as to what he could be doing, Gomes had walked past the open door and looked in. Old Felix had the office daybook open on his desk and was studying it with furious concentration. It didn't bother Gomes much. He had learned his craft from good masters, and the first rule of business, the thieving business, was that there were always two sets of books. Old Felix could study the daybook before him as long as he liked. Reality was in the other book, and that was the one Gomes always kept to himself. At last, the old man had quitted his office and had said to Gomes, not exactly the words the clerk had absolutely dreaded to hear, not an order to write out an immediate invitation for the nephew to appear in this house, that he should send instructions for the boy to attend him in a few days' time. In other words, young Hannaway still had his chance to worm his way into his uncle's favour, that is, if he was feeble enough not to resist.